Hi, welcome back to the podcast. Boy, there is some crazy energy going on these days. Uh, it's almost Mercury retrograde again. It's starting on the 24th of August. We've got Venus, Pluto, Saturn, and Neptune all in retrograde as well. We just had a supermoon in Aquarius. We're in the Lionsgate portal. It's a lot of really crazy energy with a lot of potential in it. And all of that has got me super creative and I have a list in front of me right now that's about three months worth of episode ideas for the podcast and I'm really excited to share them all with you. And as always, if you have an episode suggestion, you can email it to me at mosaicinprogress at gmail.com. Hi, I'm your host, Naomi, and this is Mosaic in Progress. Today, I want to talk about being a know-it-all, and this kind of goes along with the imposter syndrome episode to a degree, but taking it a little bit in a different direction, kind of a further step. I have a co-worker who is just a stereotypical misogynist and loves to be condescending and mansplain and everything everything you think about a typical white male misogynistic patriarchal middle class person all of the bad things he embodies them and i'm not saying that stereotype i'm saying that he is the embodiment of the stereotype And he accused me of being a know-it-all the other day. He didn't use those words. He said, it amuses me that you think you have nothing left to learn. And I had an absolutely visceral reaction to him saying that. And my response was, it amuses me that you think that's true. But I was aware, which was a pretty big step for me, I was aware that I was triggered by that statement and so I kind of got quiet and I let myself kind of sit with that. Why is this triggering to me? And part of it was because it was just absolutely not true at all in the first place. Um, he, among all of my coworkers, is someone who I go to for uh, advice or questions a lot. Because as much of a jerk as he is, he's also really good at his job and he's been doing it for a while. And I am not so lacking in humility that I can't ask someone who I don't personally like for their advice or information. And for him to say that I thought I had nothing else to learn and it was the thing that he that prompted that. He was asking me about something, uh, a medication that I definitely know way more about than he does because it's a medication that's used more in the ICU and the ER, which is my background, than it ever is in the OR, in the, on the field. And so his question was insulting. And I remember just feeling like I always did when I was a child and a teenager living at home with my parents. 
Because my dad would do this thing. It didn't matter what you were doing. He'd just come up with a question on the spot. And it was usually something about the Bible. But it could also be, you know, something about history or geography. And it was just like this gotcha game of like, hey, I know you're doing the dishes right now. Or you're cooking or you're whatever. You're doing something. You're right in the middle of that. But I want you to change channels in your brain immediately and answer this question for me for no reason. And it didn't matter if I actually knew the answer. The way that he played the gotcha game your brain couldn't switch channels because you would immediately go into like this panic of, oh no, he's wanting me to get the right answer. He's going to be upset if I get the wrong answer. And so your survival mechanism kicked in and all of your higher thinking shut down. And then he would laugh at you or berate you or you'd be in trouble. He'd make you feel like you were an idiot in the smallest thing in the room. Because you couldn't just answer his question on the spot. And I remember how angry he became as I started to acquire more knowledge than him about whatever, whatever it was. I remember being 13 and 14 and really just becoming obsessed with the X-Files. And the reason that I started watching it was because I wanted him to spend time with me. You know, for as much as we were all home together with being homeschooled and having church at home and my dad working from home, um, that started when I was, I think, 11 or 12. Um, he started working from home and he would travel occasionally, but... His main, you know, nine to five job, it was at home. And for all of that time together, like we never really spent time together. We were just around each other. And I think that probably has a lot to do with how strongly I feel about intentionally spending time with people. That you don't just exist in the same space. You intentionally make time to do things together and share things together and just have fun together. But I digress. So I really got into the X-Files because I wanted him to watch it with me because I knew it was a show that he liked. And I thought, well, if I've got it on, it's after work hours. Maybe he'll come in here and watch it with me. Uh, that didn't work. He never did. He kind of lost interest in the X-Files when I started watching it. And got really upset that I learned the characters so quickly because ADHD hyperfocus, and it became a special interest. So I learned everything about the X Files so quickly, and he hated it. He hated that I knew more than him, and so he just lost interest in it and quit watching it. Which was not as extreme as the reaction he had when I was doing my prerequisite courses for nursing school. And he finally took my mom and himself to the chiropractor. I had been encouraging them to do it for a while. I'd been going to the chiropractor for, I think, a year or two at that point. And had gotten a lot of help with some of my chronic pain issues and I thought it would help them as well. And 
they resisted it and resisted it and resisted it. And then they finally went and shortly after going, my dad suddenly became an expert on all things chiropractic and holistic health. And I don't mean he became an expert. I mean, he pretended like he was an expert and thought no one else knew anything more than him or could tell him anything about it, except for the chiropractor who he basically treated like a god. So the first day that they, well, their follow-up appointment where they got their x-rays or their x-ray results, um, he, uh, he came home about the time that I was getting home from classes and it just so happened that that day in my anatomy and physiology class, we learned about the spine and all the different curvatures of the spine and what those curvatures were called. And the difference between calling it a certain thing and a diagnosis of a certain thing and the difference between, you know, a diagnosed spine problem versus just saying, hey, your spine is curved like this. So for those of you who don't know, scoliosis by definition is a lateral curvature of the spine. It means that your spine is going out to the side instead of being straight as you're looking at it from the back. So he's telling me about her x-rays and what they had told him. And I said, oh, she has scoliosis. I was very excited to share knowledge that I had just learned. And... He said, no, she said she, he said she did not have scoliosis. He was like mad about it immediately for no reason. And I was like, but, uh, scoliosis is just a lateral curvature of the spine. And I was like, look, I learned about it today. And I start to open my book and he just yells at me that that wasn't what was said. I don't know what I'm talking about. And I said, Okay. It's like, well, this conversation isn't going anywhere. I was like, I'm going to go take a bath. So I went to take a bath. And as I'm taking a bath, trying to relax, I can hear him from the kitchen, which we had about a 2,200 square foot house. The kitchen was almost at the end of the house. It was kind of a, not exactly a shotgun house, but it was definitely longer than it was wide. And I would say... Probably a good 300, 400 feet away, the kitchen, to the bathroom. And I could hear him yelling at my mother. And he wasn't yelling at her like he was angry at her. He was yelling about me. And telling her what a know-it-all I was and how he was sick of me acting like I knew everything. And just lauding my knowledge over everyone and I remember being so terrified to get out of the tub that I just sat there until the water was freezing cold and I was shaking both from fear and being cold. And I finally got out and I was ready to be yelled at and maybe hit and for there to be this big explosion. And there wasn't. He never said another word to me about it. I listened to him yell for a good 10 minutes about how awful I was and what a know-it-all I was. 
and he never said a word to my face about it. And in fact, after that, he kind of quit talking to me for a while. And I remember going to my anatomy and physiology professor the next class day. I went up to her after class and I just said, they really don't get it, do they? And she looked up at me like she already knew what I was going to say. And she said, who? And I said, people who don't work in medicine, they really don't get it, do they? And she said, no, baby, and they never will. You've got to be able to let it go and just know that they're never going to want to listen to you. They're never going to respect your knowledge and just don't worry about their approval because you're never going to get it. And I remember at the time thinking about the Bible verse where Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor save in his own home. And I remember kind of feeling like that, like I was just treated like, oh no, you're just little Naomi. You're just little Naomi. You don't know anything. You're not smart. There's nothing that you could tell me or whatever that I don't already know. And that was around the time that I just decided I was not going to wait around or care if my dad was proud of me anymore. I had spent my entire life trying to make him proud and trying to gain his approval and I never got it no matter how hard I tried and it seemed like the more I tried the more disapproving he was and I just decided I didn't need it anymore. I wasn't going to wait for it. I was going to give up the hope of that. And about the time that I decided that was when he decided he was going to dote all over me because I think he could tell he had lost me. That his opinion didn't matter anymore, his approval didn't matter anymore, and I was no longer afraid of him like I had always been. And he was desperately trying to keep from losing me entirely and it was too little too late. Uh, he was posting all over Facebook pictures of me and tagging me in things and talking about how proud he was of me. He would comment on everything that I posted about how proud he was and all of these things and I remember just thinking, I don't care. I don't care. And... There is a threat to narcissists and abusers and people who gain from feeling they have a power or knowledge over you. And they need you to be small and stupid so that they can feel big and smart and powerful. And as soon as they see that you know your shit, they feel threatened 
because they don't have room in their perception of reality to be big and powerful if anyone else also is. They thrive on putting other people down. And so this is why it's so common a tactic of abusers and narcissists and bullies to call someone a know-it-all when they know their shit. Or to just consistently try to put people down, you know, to try to educate people or give them advice that they didn't ask for. And it's a really interesting thing when you step back and perceive it as a pattern rather than getting wrapped up in the drama or chaos it may create in your own life. But to see, you know, if somebody's like, let me tell you something I wish I'd known when I was your age, as if they have some kind of like aged wisdom to give you or... Let me tell you what I wish I'd known, you know, when I was at my stage of your career. Oh, do you know the answer to this question? Or let me tell you about this. Making the assumption that you don't already know. And making the assumption that you want their advice or you want their teaching, their wisdom, their education. Because how could you not? They are so wise and so knowledgeable and so much more mature and experienced than you. It's a red flag. And I tell my husband sometimes that it is exhausting sometimes to have gone through the healing that I have gone through as far as observing patterns, learning to observe patterns and learning to recognize behavior patterns and abusive tactics and gaslighting and all of these different things that I was raised with to be able to go, okay, that's not normal. That's not how I should act. That's not how my parents should have acted. This is, you know, I have to undo this. I have to let this part go. This wasn't healthy. It never was. It never will be. I don't need to incorporate this into my life. In order to deconstruct abusive raising, in order to not carry it on to someone else, it makes you very aware of those behavior patterns in other people. And so it's just this constant seeing around you, you know, it feels like the sixth sense, I see dead people and it's like, I see abusers everywhere. And maybe they don't mean to be abusive. Maybe they're not narcissists. Maybe they don't actually you know, want to be hurting the people they love. Maybe they just don't know any better. Because I think statistically it's impossible for so many people to be narcissists, but you see around you these red flags of behavior patterns and it's just like, "Mm, there's something that I don't want around me. I worked too hard to get away from that. And I think it's difficult As you're making that transition from 
someone who was surviving in an abusive environment, someone who was probably a people pleaser, someone who was called a know-it-all and made apologies rather than saying, no, I'm not a know-it-all, I just know my shit and that threatens you. It's hard to make that transition from, well, being a doormat to allowing yourself to be in your power and in your knowledge and owning it with humility but with confidence and not apologize for it and not apologize for how it threatens other people. Other people being threatened by your power, by your knowledge, by your expertise says so much about them rather than what it says about you. Anyone who cannot be around someone who is more knowledgeable than them without being threatened has a huge problem with insecurity in their own knowledge. Anyone who cannot be around someone who has more expertise than them without being threatened is insecure in their own expertise, in their own ability to thrive in whatever position they're in. Anyone who is threatened by your position in someone else's life as their partner or whatever and thinks that that threatens them in their position had themselves in a more elevated position in their own mind than what they were in reality. And it's very hard to come to terms with those things as someone who just kind of kowtowed to whatever version of reality was handed to you. And there's so much that's talked about with emotional abuse and gaslighting. And I think that that very particular aspect of it isn't talked about enough. It's not just that you question your own reality because of gaslighting. It's that someone else had enough power over you because of the fear that they struck in your heart that they could say the sky is green. And you would think that you need to go to the doctor to have your eyesight checked. It's so much further than like, okay, I'm not quite sure of myself. I have some insecurities. I have some uncertainties. I don't really feel confident in standing on my feet. It is that someone else could tell you you're wrong in how you perceive reality and you won't question that. You will question how you perceive reality before you will question them. And as much as we want to believe that is only limited to a specific abusive person, it's not, especially in evangelical homes for girls. Because girls are taught that you're too stupid to know what reality is anyway. That's why God gave you men. Yes, that is a completely backwards version of the Genesis story. No one ever questions that in evangelical homes because we don't question what we're taught. 
the Genesis story says that Adam was formed first and then Eve was made for him because he needed help. They don't focus on that part. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Let me make him help. Literally, that's what it says. Nobody wants to talk about that because we talk about the woman being made for the man like she was his fucking table or whatever that he could use. No. The Genesis story said God looked at man and said, it's not good. It's the only time in the creation story where he says it's not good. It is not good that man should be alone. Everything else, it is good, it is good, it is good. He's made man. He said, whoops. <sighs> That's not done yet. We got to do something else. Uh, that thing can't survive on its own. It needs help. This is not a good situation here. Then he made woman and said, it is very good. People talk about in the church about how mankind was the crowning point of the creation. No, woman was, she was the final thing created. She was the crowning point. That is biblical canon. Might not be doctrinal canon, but it's in the Bible. I digress. Point is, that girls brought up in evangelical homes are told that they don't understand reality. Adam sinned, but Eve was deceived. Eve was deceived. They focus on that over and over and over again. Eve was deceived. And because Eve was deceived, women everywhere, all of them, are easily deceived. And they need a man to guide them and tell them what the truth is. And so you grow up thinking that you need help to discern reality. You need the older, wiser women who have, you know, been submissive wives and raised their children. You need men, good Christian men, to tell you what reality is. And so it becomes this internal dialogue. Yes, I said dialogue, not monologue. That was intentional of having a thought or an opinion or an idea and telling yourself that you don't know what you're talking about. You need to ask someone else. And if someone else tells you something that contradicts your own perception of reality, you immediately take that as truth without question and you have to work really hard with talking to yourself or journaling or both or therapy or all of the above to talk yourself out of being gaslit because it's an automatic thing that happens someone's like you're mean you have been mean to me since I met you and you're like oh I'm so sorry and then you're like wait a minute is that actually true I've never done a single thing to you never disrespected you I've never done a single bad thing to you why did I just agree that I was mean 
haven't been mean to you at all in fact the opposite is true you've been very mean to me and i haven't done a single bad thing to you i've done a lot of good things for you actually why did i just accept this narrative that i'm the mean one and so if someone tells us we're a know-it-all it just becomes this automatic like oh my goodness i've become overly confident i'm a jerk i'm the thing that i never wanted to become i've lost my humility and then there's just that like little check it's like mm, is that true is this reality are you really acting like a know-it-all or do you just know your shit and you reacted the way that someone who knows their shit would react when someone is being condescending to them, acting like they don't know anything. And did that person react in the way that someone who needs to keep you small and stupid will react when you don't follow their narrative that you're small and stupid and need them? It's a really hard thing to be confident when you have been abused. And it's hard to be confident in anything, in your job, in your skills, in your art, in your relationships, in just owning your truth, in whatever interpersonal relationships you may have. especially hard to be confident in conflict because that's where most abuse happens is in conflict is this idea that you get in your head that if there's conflict that means you're wrong or you're bad and so you should immediately apologize and placate and pacify and do whatever you can to try to make it right Because surviving an abusive home means living a lie. It means telling yourself every single day that this person who is treating you horrifically loves you. It means telling yourself every day that you're bad. And all you have to do is be good enough. And then they won't hurt you anymore. It means telling yourself that the only reason that they are hurting you is because you're so bad and so difficult to deal with. It means telling yourself you don't deserve better. It means telling yourself that you owe them. And those lies don't stop when you get out. You have to work to consciously undo them. Which is one of the hardest parts of the whole thing. Just undoing that projected guilt.
And so I live in my truth now as much as I can and I fight with that lying inner demon within me. That's really not an inner demon at all. It's just a very, very, very scared little girl who never felt safe. Doesn't even know what safe means. Who's begging me to not make her any more unsafe. So I have to tell her, you're okay. You're safe now. They can't hurt you anymore. This person, whoever they are, can't hurt you either. It helps now that I am 5'9 and about 200 pounds and I tower over most people who try to bully me. Stature helps a lot with not feeling like a little girl. Because I'm not a little girl anymore. And I'm not a know-it-all and I never have been. I'm not mean to people. I never, can't say that I never have been. My teenage to 20, early 20s evangelical self was a pretty mean person. I would not be friends with her. I thought I was doing the right thing. But just as I said, I am not a know-it-all and never have been. I was humble enough to check my beliefs and deconstruct them. Because I know that I can be wrong too. Hope this episode has been helpful for you. Hope you gained something from it. And I hope you will join me next week on the podcast as we both continue to work on our mosaic in progress. Please follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as Mosaic in Progress. Again, you can email me with episode suggestions at mosaicinprogress at gmail.com. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Please share comment give us feedback and uh stay weird out there know-it-alls we're all gonna get through this eventually